context, especially for some of you new folks. We had a prophetic word, which very simply means uh, we had a word that, that we believe was delivered by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, to this body. And it's not limited to this body. There is a national uh, speaker who actually was the founder of this church many years ago. And uh, he transitioned the leadership of this church off to me five years ago. And at the last Sunday of 2014, he gave a word that we choose to believe is from the Lord. And he is uh, actually delivering that word all across this country. And that word is that in the first six months of 2015, there is a window of grace and there is a window of opportunity to pursue God like never before. Now, it doesn't mean that after these six months that we stop pursuing God. It just means that there is a special grace on this season, and there is this window of opportunity to press into the Lord. And I don't know about you, but as far as my life goes, um, sometimes I run into how small my love is. Sometimes I run into how, how undisciplined my pursuit and my devotion of God can be. And there's a man by the name of A.W. Tozer who essentially said that all of our response, all of our pursuit of God is very simply a response of his pursuit of us. And God is constantly pursuing our lives. He's, he's calling us and he's drawing us. And our pursuit is simply a response to that invitation. And I find that when I'm not paying attention to that invitation, my, my response and my pursuit can be small. And so I'm praying for a grace. I'm praying for a supernatural grace to be upon my life and to be upon all of us that we will become more sensitive to the invitation that the Lord is bringing to us so that our pursuit would be out of a response. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And as we get revelation of his great love for us, our pursuit then is a response of that revelation of how good he is and of how much and how deeply he loves us. So we are in that window right now. And I wanna read this dream that, that actually came a, a few weeks ago. And I, I feel like it's very, very appropriate to where we're at. And I wanna read this to you and, and uh, give a little exhortation off of it before we get into the word. It starts off and says, I had a dream Sunday night and I think it is no coincidence that this dream happened after all the prophetic stuff that happened and that was released on Sunday morning. Uh, there was a particular Sunday, if you guys recall, I believe it was the Sunday where we talked about the prophetic gates being opened up and we ended up worshiping the whole time and just a powerhouse uh, morning with the Lord as all of our mornings are. As I reflect on the dream and its interpretation, I think this may be worth sharing with the house. In the dream, I was outside of a house and I was working on fixing a window. It was a small window towards the top of the room that I needed a ladder to work on, like the kind that first four bathrooms have. The window was old and it was in disrepair. The room inside was indistinct, but it was not a bathroom. I found myself having a discussion with two people from Antioch. One was inside the house and the other was outside. The one who was outside had been so busy and diligent working outside and yet still had more work to do. I then looked over to the adjacent room. It had a nice, big, white, new window. 
The room was brighter inside than the outside with the sunlight. The room was uncluttered. And the only furniture I saw was an old, comfortable-looking couch and an old, simple coffee table. Someone else from Antioch came in and sat down on the couch. I knew she had the day off from work. She was not reclining, but sitting up in a posture of expectation. I wanted to go inside, but could not until I had finished my window. Throughout the course of the dream, the window project had felt like something substantial and very important. I went back to working on the window and realigned the old bent screen, which only took a few seconds. And once I finished, I thought, is that really all I came here to do? I stood there for a second, feeling like there had to have been more than I woke up. After praying about this, I believe the window is the six-month window that Dutch prophesied. Entering the house meant entering into the Lord's purpose and invitation for the six months. My window was small because I have approached this with an attitude of doing the minimum. How much do I need to do? I believe that the other person and her window were a picture of what this season could be if approached correctly. The other person outside was extraneous as far as my personal message from the dream was concerned. So I think that he, he may have been there to represent a third group of people. He was busy doing other things outside all day and he wasn't concerned with entering the house. The things he was doing were good and he was being diligent, but he was missing an opportunity. Either Dutch or Jade said at some point that this season is what you choose to make of it, and this dream illustrates that. I think that where we are by the end of this season is more important than how quickly we got there. I have decided that for the rest of this season, I am going to make a big window by approaching this with the attitude of what more can I do, not what little must I do. I think that's a very good word for us. It's an aligning word. It's a, it's a corrective word. It's an inspiring word. I believe it truly is a prophetic word for all of us. I'm taking that to be a prophetic word for me. And the same, I, can just, I just know that the level of intensity I had in the first 40 days of the year are not the same level of intensity that I'm carrying right now. And I'm, I'm approaching the Lord and saying, Enlarge the narrow mansion of my soul, as one of the great old fathers said. And I'm asking you to join me for whatever that looks like for you and for whatever that looks like for us. And uh, Pursuit Night on Sunday nights is one of our corporate expressions, but I'm, ask, I'm asking the Lord to show us if there's something else in the next two months that we're to do corporately uh, as a way that we can as a unified body, respond to this word. I know that many of us are doing things that the Lord has put on our hearts individually, but I think there's something corporately. I think there's something as life groups that we can do to give God a definitive yes. And um, I think there's things even yet that he still wants to cut out. Uh, Christy and I had a great conversation a few weeks ago and I asked her, I said, as it relates to our six month assignment, what is one thing that you feel like in the next three months that we can cut out of our lives? And what is one thing that you feel like we can add? And so we're having discussions around this as well as, as we wanna be found faithful to the heavenly calling that the Lord's given to us. So I'm gonna pray into this here for a few minutes and then uh, I wanna get into the word. 
which is actually a continuation of last week's word. And uh, if you're here with us today for the first time, I encourage you to jump on to Antioch.is and you can, uh, you can be apprised of many of the messages that we've spoke on to catch you up to speed. We truly are building line upon line. Every message is connected to a previous message. And uh, these messages are actually set within the context of uh, a prayer focus that the Lord is giving this house for the year of 2015. And one of those prayer areas of prayer focus is uh, praying for the city. And so we're gonna talk more about that today. But let's pray together before we jump in. Father, we bless your name today. And we honor you and we thank you for what you're doing on a heart level in every single one of us. Father, we thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That when you share with us in the form of dreams, in the form of prophetic words, in the form of scripture, Lord, even in the form of warnings or rebukes, we know that you do it in such a manner that it does not elicit condemnation. You do it in such a manner that it provokes us towards righteousness and it provokes us towards our potential. But most importantly, God, it provokes us towards you. And I'm asking today that by the help of your Holy Spirit, that you would provoke us towards you today, that you would lead us and that you would draw us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, to the book of Proverbs chapter 11. And I'm going to give a little bit of background here. We're talking about the concept of elders in the gates. And I'm not going to go through everything I talked about last week. We did talk about the significance of gates. We talked about how in the ancient world, cities uh, had walls that were built around them. Those walls are significant. They, uh, they form protection. Those walls were built not only to protect the inside from what was coming from the outside, those walls were also a form of preservation in terms of the good culture and the good DNA and the value system of the kingdom that God was building on a city level into those cities. All of those have incredible significance. You know, for you prayer warriors, one of the things that we pray quite often as a staff, one of the things I just remind our staff because we pray for this city on a weekly basis. We pray for you on a weekly basis. We pray for uh, the nation and the nations on a weekly basis as a staff. And the picture that I believe is very appropriate is found in the book of Nehemiah when Nehemiah was building and rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. As he was building those walls, uh, stone upon stone, I feel like every time we get together and we pray, it's like putting another stone. It's like putting another brick in its place. It's like one prayer meeting is not gonna get the job done for our city. One prayer, a thousand prayer meetings on one day is not gonna get the job done. It's a daily duty. It's a diligence. It's diligently coming together on a corporate level, on a personal level, on a life group level. And every time we pray, we're putting another brick into the wall that's being built on a city level, on a church level, on a family level. I'll have to say that before I came to, at the time, it was called Springs Harvest Fellowship. That's the name of our church 10 years ago. Before I came here 10 years ago, I can honestly say I did not have uh, the revelation as it relates to um, praying for our nation, praying for our cities, uh, praying for justice issues. I didn't have revelation as it relates to the need for righteous rulers. Um, 
voting for our uh, presidents or voting for those that sit in Congress or senators, that just, that would have never been taught to me in terms of understanding that as a value system and understanding that from a biblical worldview. And I can say in the past 10 years, uh, the Lord has done much in way of revealing the necessity, not only from a civic standpoint, but from a righteous standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, And I'm not going to go into the full depths of that. There's much to explore as it relates to the fact that we are dual citizens. We belong to a nation, but we also belong to a kingdom. And what we do as it relates to helping to establish righteous leaders in our city is a responsibility of both of those nations. Are you hearing me? Are you following this morning? It's a responsibility we have as those who are citizens of this nation or whatever nation you may belong to, but it's also a responsibility we have as citizens that belong to that nation, our heavenly nation, our heavenly kingdom. Look with me, if you would, at Proverbs 11. I'm just trying to establish some context here as I'm picking this message up in the middle of last week's flow. Proverbs 11, 11 says, through the blessing of the upright, that's us, we are the upright, we are the righteous ones. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Through the blessing of the upright. That blessing comes in many ways. It comes verbally. It comes, think about how you speak to this city. Think about how you've heard other people speak to this city and about this city. When we first moved here, there was a lot of words that we heard that people would say over the city. We heard very often people cursing this city with saying how they hated this city how this was a God-forsaken city, how this was a, a distant city, how this was a city uh, that was mean to the prophets. Um, so many words, it was a political city, it was a religious city. And as I've gotten revelation of this particular truth, I've learned and I'm learning to a greater level that the words that we speak over this city make a difference as to what happens in this city. Now, this is a biblical principle that applies to every area of your life that through the blessing of the upright, so John spoke on this this past Sunday, that through the blessing of the upright, your family will be exalted. What are you speaking over your children, over your marriage? Many people sit back and we wonder why our marriages are, are not what, they, what, what we want them to be. But then we need to evaluate the, the seed that we're sowing into our marriage with our words. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth, listen to this, by the mouth of the wicked, words matter. I guarantee you there there are people that are praying against the welfare of this city. We don't like to think about that. It's not typically on our radar, but I want you to know that there are people that are strategically gathering together spiritually and naturally that are cursing this city. They're tearing it down. They're, they're, they're actually inviting in demonic spirits to wreak havoc, to tear down families, to destroy marriages, to invade civic arenas, to invite spirits of death and spirits of division, destruction on a city level. That is happening. It is happening as we speak. And we are the righteous ones. We are the ones that stand against that torrent of a wicked activity that tries to come in on the city level. One of the ways that we do that is by understanding the concept of elders. Last week, we talked about the significance of cities and the significance of walls. 
as it relates to discipling nations. I want to talk with you about the significance of elders or leaders. And I could even insert into this the significance of righteous ones. So we have to be careful. When we hear the word elders, many of us can disqualify us from that. Every one of us as sons and daughters are called to serve as elders in the gates of our city. Every one of us. I would even say that some, for, for some of our young ones who are in junior high and high school and college, you are an elder in training and you are serving. You are, you are positioned as an elder or as a gatekeeper in your school. That is your territory. That is your field. That's your garden. That's your, that's your mission field where God has planted you and placed you. Look with me very quickly in the previous verse, Proverbs eleven ten. It says that when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous are blessed, when the righteous walk in their identity, when righteous rulers are positioned in places of authority to shape laws and to shape curriculum and to shape decisions that are being made, watch what happens. The city rejoices. It reminds me of Romans 14, 17 which says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The city rejoices because the kingdom of God produces joy. Wherever the kingdom of God comes, things change, and the fruit of God's kingdom is a spirit joy that is not just a happiness, but it is a spirit joy that can only be produced by the spirit of God. We need to look around our city and say, is our city rejoicing? Is our, is our city experiencing the righteousness and the peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit? Because this is what it says. It says, when the righteous prosper, when the righteous come into their own, when the righteous lead in the way that God has called them to lead, in every area of our city, it says there is a city effect. Joy and blessing come to our city. How many of you guys want to be a part of that? How many of you guys understand that you are a part of bringing blessing on the city level. Look right here, what happens. It says, when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. What happens with the individuals and the families and the churches affects our city. Let me talk with you for a few minutes very quickly about what elders were and what elders are. In the Old Testament, elders were very simply prominent members of both the Jewish and early Christian communities. The Hebrew word for elder simply means beard or chin, which represents wisdom, a bearded one, an aged one, a mature one. In the New, yeah, come on. <laughs> In the New Testament, the Greek word is presbyteros, which is where we get the word presbytery or presbyter. It is a word where we derive the word priest or a governing one. Elders in the gates historically and potentially. Number one, if you're taking notes, elders were and are a governing council. Elders are a governing council. In the Old Testament, and I'm telling you, I've got, I've got pages of scriptures that we can, if you just type up elders or you type up gates, you'll see particularly in the Old Testament how many duties and functions that the elders of that community walked in. They were the primary form of government before Israel cried out for a king. So before they cried out for a king, a monarch to rule them, it was actually God's structure to work through representative council, which is where we get our form of governmental leadership in our nation. Our form of government in our nation is a representative council, which is derived strictly from Old Testament law. 
They were to provide leadership for clans, tribes, and ultimately they were to provide leadership for the nation of Israel prior to the establishment of the monarchy. Here's the potential that we have in this, Christian leaders who operate in mutual submission and honor to serve their communities at every level through strategic prayer, collaborative problem solving, and consistent service. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen. I wanna dream here for a few minutes when leaders, and it doesn't matter what gate that they serve in, that really is irrelevant on some level. Imagine what would happen when we have pockets of leaders from every sphere in this city pulling together and number one, standing in a place of spiritual prayer for the welfare and the benefit of our city as gatekeepers and watchmen over our city. Imagine what could happen. Imagine, imagine when we have uh, the church understanding their governmental role as an ecclesia, their governmental role in the realm of the spirit. Jesus said, I have given my church keys, keys. I've given my church keys, which always represent authority. I've given my church keys to open doors and to close doors. There are things that we as a church, there's opportunity that we have every time we get together in life group or in corporate service or when we choose to start connecting with other churches and leaders, principals, military leaders, business leaders, because of the understanding of the the seat of authority in the realm of a city, God's given us keys to say, in the spirit first, we're not gonna allow this into our city. In the spirit first, we're gonna close this door, we're gonna fashion this door shut and we're not gonna allow these things into our city. And also we can open doors for righteousness and for the life of the kingdom to enter in. Number two, elders are gatekeepers. Elders are gatekeepers. Everybody say, I'm a gatekeeper. That means that an elder is a primary gatekeeper of what was allowed into the city. We just talked here about the fact that in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus talked about one of the functions of the church. Isaiah 22, 22 is also a great verse. Many of us know this. Scripture says that I will give you keys to open doors that no man will shut and to close doors that no man will open. That's authority that he's given to his governing council, his church, his ecclesia. Psalm 24, seven through 10, it's a great messianic psalm where the psalmist is saying, Open up, you ancient gates, that the king of glory may come in. This messianic psalm is speaking to the nature of gatekeepers, that we as the church, we have the governmental authority in the spirit to open up gates and say, Jesus, we want you to be fully established. We want your kingdom to fully come here in this city. Moms and dads, we can do this on a family level. We can do this in a church level. And again, wherever God has planted you, you have keys of the kingdom to invite the king. Open up, open up, open up that the king of glory may come into Fort Carson. Open up that the king of glory may come in and just fill in the blank wherever it is, into my neighborhood, into the place that I am being schooled right now. Genesis chapter two, verse 15 Genesis 2, verse 15, this is the first place where we see this concept of God establishing gatekeepers. Many of you may remember last year, we went through a series called Tending Your Garden. That concept of tending your garden is a gatekeeper concept. The word there is a word named shamar. Let's just read Genesis 2, 15. It says, where the Lord God took the man, the first man, Adam, he put Adam into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. The word keep it is shamar. It means to watch over. 
like a gatekeeper. It means to fight for. It means to protect. It means to defend. It means to build a hedge around something, to keep it safe and to preserve it. It means to exercise great care. That's what elders do on a city level. We watch over the city. We pay attention to things that are happening. We, we read the news. We, we listen to the conversations that are taking place. And then we take authority and then we take action as gatekeepers. Now we know that what we know Adam was established as a gatekeeper, but he failed in his responsibility to watch over the gate of his marriage and to watch over the gate of the garden. And the enemy, you see, the enemy knows that the gates are the most important places. And he's always, you can always find the enemy at a gate. You'll always find the enemy at the most strategic places. And he understood the most strategic place for that garden was the marital gatekeepers that were established to cover and watch over that garden. And that's why he attacked it. He got entrance into that garden. He got entrance into all of humanity. He was the first elder at the gate of his community. Here is our potential as gatekeepers. We are called to watch. We are called to keep. We are called to preserve and guard the gates of our cities. And we've been given authority to do so. Number three, elders are mature. Elders are mature. I just want to take a few minutes to unpack this. Mature people are responsible people. They are committed. They are trustworthy. One of the things I love about the biblical principle that is inherent within this concept of elders and the gates is, is not a positional thing. This is, this is a biblically principled driven concept. In other words, we're not gonna just give authority to someone who's not married to the land. We're not going to give, author- we're not going to give positional authority. We should never give positional authority over to someone who does not have revelation that God has called them to be married to the welfare of the land. Let's just pause right here and take a look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, verse seven. We actually prayed this scripture this morning. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. And for those of you who don't know the context here, Jeremiah was living in a wicked, godless land named Babylon, and it was not his own. He was a transplant. He was a captive. He was a prisoner. I was just watching Unbroken yesterday. What a phenomenal movie. And you, you, could, you could actually apply this. This man, Louis Zamperini, who is a prisoner of war in Japan, this would almost be like God speaking to Louis and say, I want you to bless the people of Japan. I want you to cover and guard and watch over and seek for the prosperity of the land of the enemies that you're living in. This is very, very similar. And this is what God says to Jeremiah in verse seven. Also, he says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray to the Lord for the city that I have planted you in as an exile, as a captive, as a prisoner. No, it's not Israel. No, it's not Jerusalem, but bless it. You know why that is? Is because as people of God, we have the implication here is that you can bless the land that I have placed you in. You may, you may not have drilled down in your spirit yet if this is the place that you're to spend the rest of your life. I've already settled that issue. But that doesn't matter. You're here now. 
And kingdom people need to understand that wherever it is that you're here now, you're either going to be a gatekeeper for good or you're going to be an instrument for wickedness. That there's, there is no middle ground. Passivity is an instrument of the enemy. The kingdom of God advances forcefully. It advances intentionally. It advances strategically. It advances offensively. And if you're here for such a time as this, the charge of the Lord is this. Even if you're in transition, bless the city that you're in now. Because in so doing, you develop the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is no matter where I'm at. You know, I understand this is a transient community to some degree, or it has been the transient mentality of vagabond spirit over this place. I've grown up in the military. I understand what it means to be somewhere every two years and to not give yourself to that place. But friends and beloved, I want to tell you today that if you're here and if you're in the military and even if you're just here for two weeks, two months, two years, or 20 years, you're here now. And bless the city that you are in now as long as today is called today. Be a blessing to the place that God has placed you in. Elders are committed, they're trustworthy. Maturity comes with the acceptance of responsibility. A great man of God by the name of Ed Cole says, maturity does not come with age. Got some people I know that are way older than me, but that doesn't mean they're more mature because maturity comes with self-governing responsibility. It comes with the acceptance of responsibility. Maturity is not age, it's not knowledge, it's not experience, it's not accomplishment. Maturity is obedience to the Lord. Maturity is stewardship, taking care of what God has given to you, assuming responsibility to care for and cultivate something to make it better. You may not think putting your DVDs back where they belong is important, but it's critically important to developing maturity. May not think learning how to, you know, and listen, I'm in the fray of four kids. I'll clean up, we'll, Christian, I'll clean up the house one day. We'll turn around, around the next day and go, what in the name of God has happened here in this place? And you know what? That's God's training ground to mature us. That's God's training ground. It is his training ground to develop responsibility inside of us. Number four, elders are judges. They were problem solvers. Look with me, if you would, at Exodus chapter 18. Incredible passage of scripture as it relates to the judging, problem-solving, decision-making function, the conflict management function. The Lord has just given me a word for some of you right now. Listen, don't curse your problems. Don't curse your opportunities. Don't curse your relational conflicts. Don't curse those things. Don't curse your blessings. Those are opportunities that God's given to you to learn how to judge things wisely. Those are opportunities that God's giving. He's inviting you to pursue him to get his wisdom on a matter. And you can sit there and stay in that thing and remain dysfunctional or you can press into God and you can get a level of wisdom that is greater than the level of the problem that you're in. Problems cannot be solved with the same level of wisdom they were created. They cannot be solved with that same level of wisdom. They require a greater level of wisdom. And sons and daughters, the righteous, the upright ones have access to a greater dimension of wisdom to solve the problems on the earth level. Friends, listen, the, 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 the conflict management, the conflict resolution, the, the, the personal disagreements, don't curse those things. Lean into them. 
Lean into them. Bring the peace of God into those situations. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There's peace that needs to come to this city. There's peace that needs to come to this city. And peace will not come by evading confrontation and conflict. Peace comes by getting the spirit of peace and the spirit of wisdom and inserting it into the conflict that is around us. Exodus 18, this is a story of a man who was prepared for 80, well at this time, 40 years to lead over a million people, orphans. Lead over a million orphans out of bondage and captivity to teach them to be a nation, to teach them to be an ecclesia, to teach them to be a kingdom, to teach them to understand how to govern themselves. Moses' father-in-law, verse 17, Exodus 18, 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, son, what you're doing is not good. Here's the storyline here. From morning till night, the people of Israel would bring their problems to Moses. And he's hanging out with his father-in-law one day and Jethro is watching what's going on here. And then afterwards he comes and he has a conversation with the son-in-law and he says, son, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions. Show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Let me just push pause here for one second. There's there's a number of things. He says, you must be the people's representative before God. This is a priestly function that elders carry. We see this again in 1 Timothy 2, verses one through four, where Paul admonishes his Timothy and he says, pray for those that are in authority. There are people that are sitting on school boards, that are people that are volunteering in classrooms, that are people that are leading major, major things. Do you realize just down the road, 20 minutes from us, there are decisions that are being made in a mountain that actually have like national and international impact. And they need wisdom. As priests of the living God, This is what Jethro was telling Moses, stand before, stand between heaven and earth and serve as a priest to bring these people before God. And that's what we're called to do for the people of our city. And that's what we're called to do for the leaders of our city. Number two, it says, teach them. One of the primary things the church is to do and one of the things that the church used to do hundreds of years ago is that we would teach the people on issues that related to their day. We're gonna do this here in a couple of minutes because there is a monumental and historic Um, hearing that is taking place this Tuesday around the issue of religious liberty in the context of same-sex marriage. But it's the responsibility of the church in love, in truth, in mercy, and in justice to educate the culture on the ways of God because the ways of God bring life. And when we do not walk in the ways of God, they do not bring the life of God. Look at verse 21, it says, select capable men from all the people who fear God trustworthy men, men who hate dishonest gain, they're people of integrity, and appoint them, position them. In other words, give them authority as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. The implication here is that not everybody can govern at the same level. 
have them serve as judges for the people at all times. Eldership is done in the spirit of service and servanthood. Have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves, and that, my son, will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all the people will go home satisfied. Elders are judges. They judge. They judge. They problem solve. They speak into injustice. They speak into things that don't line up with God's word. Now the spirit and the attitude in which we do that is paramount. But I think the pendulum has swung because at some point in our journey, this, the church stopped speaking into the issues in the spirit of righteousness and love. And we began speaking into issues from a judgmental or a critical or an arrogant or a religious spirit. But just because we've done that doesn't mean that that invalidates our responsibility to speak into the issues of our day. Let's, let's, not, let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater, okay? Let's not abandon our responsibility. Let's just make sure that we're, we're walking that responsibility out in the right spirit and in the right attitude of the Lord. Number five, elders are teachers. We find this in 1 Timothy 3, 2, where it says, now an elder must be able to teach. They must understand what is true. They must be biblically astute. They must be diligent in studying to show themselves as workmen approved to speak truth into the issues of our day and in our cities. Number six, elders are fathers and mothers. They carry the spirit of a father and a mother for their city. I'm, I am in pursuit of the father heart of God for my city. And I'm asking you to join me I don't, I don't want a, an angry prophet spirit towards my city. I want the spirit of a father. I want the Lord to continue to mature me and to continue to mature you so that we can be fathers and mothers of our city. Because fathers and mothers approach things differently than, than just people who don't carry that same heart. Listen, I'm here to, I'm here to, I'm here to inspire you today. I'm here to evoke a challenge today that God has put you here in this city for such a time as this because he wants to grow you and develop you to be someone who sits in a seat of authority. And listen, that may mean that, may mean that you might just be volunteering in a school. My wife and I volunteer every Friday morning uh, at, at our daughter's school. And as I walked in there again, we had a substitute teacher this Friday and she said, there's no men that come into our classrooms and when you walk in, these children respond differently to you. I see it. And I'm an elder in that classroom. I'm an elder in the gates of that classroom. I bless those kids when I come in. I impart life, hope, because I see myself as an elder in the gates of that classroom. Someday, the Lord may have me sit on a school board of TC. I don't know, but I'm open because I want to find the places that I can sit in a place of representative authority it might be small. Find out that place for you. Find that place for you. I want to close this morning. I want to turn your eyes to a, to a, to a scripture that, that is very, very important to where we are right now in a monumental moment in history. And I, and I actually want to apologize because I don't have time at this moment. This, what, what I'm going to introduce right now requires some time and it requires some heart to unpack this. But I want to pray into something that I see as a very important threat in, 
and I wanna be very, very clear, the threat that is upon our nation and particularly the church of God and people of all faith in our nation, it is a threat against religious freedom. It is a threat against the liberty that was established by our founding fathers and essentially what was established as these people removed themselves from the tyranny of a government that said, you can or cannot do what you want religiously. They established a governing law of our land that said, we're gonna protect the faith of our people. We're not gonna exclude people based on their faith. We're gonna honor people. We're gonna honor the faith decision that the people in this great nation that we're establishing make. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. And if you guys will just cue up that video, we're gonna watch that video as we close out. We're gonna pray into that video. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight says, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Do not move an ancient boundary stone. Let me talk with you here for just a couple of minutes about this concept. I'm just gonna do a little bit of reading a boundary stone is a stone used to mark real estate in the Old Testament. If there was any doubt as to where one person's land ends and his neighbor begins, the placement of the stone itself was supposed to settle disputes, unless someone moved it, of course. The proverb tells us not to move ancient boundary stones. That doesn't mean it is permissible to move new or recently placed ones. It is just that recently established boundaries are less easily challenged at times, thus not requiring the same strong warning. Most of the people involved in the original decision to make that boundary would likely still be alive and around. But as time goes by and the original people are gone, the tendency to move those boundaries increases. Are we all tracking on this? Since most of us want to arrange life to our advantage, and I would insert to our own sinful, selfish ambitions, unless there is a strong deterrent, we would naturally disregard ancient boundary stones or ancient laws or ancient principles. We tend to not have a respect for older boundaries that may be because we don't usually understand why the boundary was made in the first place. We think of that which is old as worn and out of date, not relevant, not culturally applicable, and that might be true for some things, but it is absolutely not true for others. Yet the fact that a boundary is ancient actually reveals that it has endured through time. When encountering an ancient boundary, it would be wise to first investigate why it has remained for so long. Once we understand the reasons behind something, we may hesitate before moving it. While this proverb is primarily concerned with real estate, God has established other kinds of boundaries in life. His reasons for that include his desire to provide us with a healthy and safe environment to live and to raise our children. So many today have lost touch with the importance of these boundaries. Even among those who have committed their lives to a biblical lifestyle, there is an increased tendency to adjust these ancient boundary stones. Assuming that we are more intelligent, assuming that we are a more enlightened generation than those before has caused us to dishonor our ancestors and essentially and ultimately God as we throw away those principles while they have been working so hard to preserve them. This does not mean that we should not be willing to examine ancient boundaries to see if they are really in keeping with those that God himself has established when we discover that we have not been in line with God's boundaries, we must make adjustments. But adjustments should only be made after very careful and thorough examination.